Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening, however you're listening. Thank you for tuning in. This is Quantum of History, and I am your host, Donnie Waldron. Thank you again for clicking, giving me another listen. This will be the fourth podcast that I'm doing. I can't believe I'm already up to four. So I'm very excited today to see how this turns out. This is the first one that I'll be doing not inside my car. For the uh, the first podcast, I've been recording all of these inside of my car. So it's nice to actually be able to sit down in front of my microphone in my own house and record one of these. So I have an Instagram page uh, under the same name, Quantum of History. If you're not following, go ahead and give that a follow. And what I'm doing and what I did this week and what I'm going to continue to do is that the day before I record, I'm going to give a hint picture of what the next topic and what the next movie is going to be. The first person that guesses the movie and the topic is going to get a shout out on this podcast. And this week's winner is going to be Bond on this day. Now, if you're not following this page, you need to be. It is a great page. It's a really neat concept. It basically, every day, he posts a new picture of something that's happened in the band in, in Bond history. So, for instance, on February 8th, From Russia With Love was published. So, he's got a picture of the cover of From Russia With Love. So, it's a really cool page, really cool concept. If you're not following, go ahead and give him a follow. So, I had posted a picture from Fallen Monument Park, and there were some really good guesses, some really close guys. Everybody got that it was Goldeneye. But uh, Bond was the first one to get that today's topic is going to be Goldeneye and it's going to be the Cossacks. Now I'm so excited to talk about Goldeneye because it's one of my six that I view as perfect tens. This was the, my first introduction to James Bond was um, not only the movie. This was my first, like so many people my age, my f- introduction to Bond was not the movie. It was actually the the video game. So... I can tell you right now, anyone that wants to come try and get a piece on Golden 964, I will, I will destroy you. Remote Minds, I'm going to screen watch the hell out of you. And before you know it, I'm going to push A and B together and you're, going to be, you're just going to take the L. But even the story to the video game was so cool. I was like, who is this Bond guy? So I didn't have cable growing up. I actually had rabbit ears. Like the little antennas that you'd have to grab and put tin foil on to try to get reception and color if you're lucky. So I would have to wait for NBC to actually play the the um the movies before I would see them and one day I saw that Goldeneye was going to be the Sunday night movie so I made sure that the antennas were perfect the rabbit ears were at their 37 degrees I was getting perfect reception I was getting color and I was finally going to get the chance to see the movie that I had from the video game that I played so much and it did not disappoint I love this movie like be ready like as Joe Darlington and Jenna Jameson always say Get ready for a gush fest because this is what's going to be. It's going to be a complete gush fest. I love this movie. You know how sometimes an image will just stick in your head and you don't know why it sticks in your head? It just does. There is a one scene in GoldenEye where Brosnan gets done going through St. Petersburg and he's on the top of a bridge with the tank and he jumps out and he looks out and he sees Omarov grabbing Natalia with Zenya and they're running to the train. For some reason, I don't know why, I don't know why that image from that movie was the one that was like burned into my brain forever. And that was my first Bond memory that I can really remember. And everything about this movie, I just love. The opening scene is amazing. The bungee jump is so cool. The double agent is so cool. You know, even the motorcycle drive off to a cliff into a falling plane. And then he pulls the plane up. Okay. Okay. Maybe a little cheesy, but yeah, I love it. I don't care. I love it. The scene in Monte Carlo when he comes up and he sees the Zenia's Ferrari and he's in the he's in the casino. I my next trip when this whole COVID thing is over, I, I'm definitely trying to get to Monte Carlo. 
I want to see that casino. I want to see where, where Xenia was parked. Go in the casino. And I was actually reading Casino Royale, the book, um, one time when I was reading. I noticed that the Baccarat game between Xenia and Bond plays out exactly like it does in R- Casino Royale, the book. So it was a nice little nod to Fleming. Xenia is a show stealer in the entire in the entire movie. I mean, I've already made a pact with the devil that how I'm going to go out is I'm going to go out with Xenia crushing me between her legs. And I'm going to be just like that Canadian admiral with a smile on my face as they, as they zip me up. I think the ensemble of GoldenEye is, is the best of all the, of the series. As far as the whole collection of, of henchmen, everyone's got something. They're all different and they're all fantastic. I mean, all right, even Boris. Alan Cummings, no matter what he does, he's always going to be Boris and he's always going to be invincible. I'm invincible! I even like Jodon Baker as Jack Wade. He does a way better job being a sidekick than he does a villain. I think that when I read the Fleming books, I feel like Jack Wade is way closer to Felix Leiter than any incarnation of Felix Leiter has been on the big screen. I think Valentine is a great comic relief. He does a good job of being both intimidating as a gangster and funny. And he's, he's great for the movie. He's one of my favorite characters, and it's, it's kind of sad how they gave him a mustache and kind of ruined him a little bit, and the world is not enough. But in GoldenEye, he was the perfect mix of ridiculousness and menace. Pierce Brosnan and Desmond Llewellyn have the best chemistry of any Bond Q, without a doubt, and this is their best scene. I think the dynamic that Desmond and, and Pierce get, I think, really works for what that role is supposed to be. Natalia is great. She has a great story arc. I really liked how her story plays out, how she starts with this, just a computer programmer in Severnaya, and then she escapes, and she, and she becomes a badass. And uh, she has a great arc, but she stays feminine. She stays strong the whole time. And some people say that she's the best Bond girl. Uh, I don't know about that. It's, I don't know. That blue sweater, is, it kills me. I mean, she's one of the most beautiful women in the world, and they put that blue sweater on her for three quarters of the movie. Like, come on, yo. Take a lesson from Barbara Bach, you know? You're not going to get a beetle with a blue sweater. And then the ending is one of my favorites, if not the favorite ending. For England, James? No, for me. And then drops him? Ah, oh, oh, sign me up, sign me up. Now, if you're going to give any criticism to my beloved GoldenEye, the only thing, that, the only flaw I'm going to let you talk about, if you're going to argue with me with GoldenEye, I'm going to let you have the music in the beginning. I, I, I don't know what that music is. I mean, it's like a bad porno from 1983 where I'm going to see Merkins and I'm going to see Flannels. Like, no, no. So what was it, what was Alec Trevelyan's motivation? And they talk about it a little bit in the in the movie, how he was a Cossack. Um, Valentine even says Cossacks, ruthless people, got what they deserve. And then Brazen talks about how it wasn't British's finest finest hour. But I wanted to go more into what actually happened and why Trevelyan was so motivated to bring retribution upon Great Britain. Now, at the time of Goldeneye, it was a new concept for a double O agent to turn to be bad. Now, nowadays you think of, oh my God, another one. I mean, the Craig era took the idea of a bad agent or a bad MI6 player, drug it into the woods, shot it, trampled it, brought it back to life just to shoot it again, just to beat that dead horse again with a sledgehammer. Like I can't, I can't do another bad MI6 movie. It's, It's done. Please, please, please. Can we get a bad guy that, can MI6 please get a better screening process for their employees? Because I can't take another Craig movie with another double bad double agent. So that's what this is going to be about today.
Cossacks are from southern Ukraine, and they have um, three different clans based out of the same area. The clans are based upon the river that they're next to. So there's the Don Cossacks, the Kuban Cossacks, and the Ural Cossacks. They were renowned cavalrymen. They were really good on horses, and they were really good with a sable. So they made excellent cavalrymen. The story of the Soviets and the Cossacks actually start back in the Bolshevik Revolution, where the Cossacks fought against the Red Army. And when they lost, their retribution was, was rough. They were punished, they were put in camps, they were killed. And Stalin never viewed Cossacks on the level of Soviets. He always found them to be beneath what a Soviet was. Even so that when the army, when the war actually broke out, Stalin didn't want the Cossacks to join his army. But he didn't have a choice because he needed the bodies and Germany was a powerhouse at this point. The Soviets were ill-prepared to go against Germany at the time. But then the war began and it took the Cossacks about 20 minutes before they, uh, before they were fighting on the side of the German. They defected Soviet. In August 3rd, 1941, 70,000 Cossacks said deuces and went to the German side. By October 1942, 50,000 more had defected and were on the German side. Now the Cossacks didn't join Germany because they believed in what they're fighting for. Why the Cossacks joined Germany is a multitude of reasons. One, they hated the Soviets. The Soviets had been oppressive to them for years now. They hated Stalin. Stalin viewed him as beneath them, and they wanted nothing to do with them. They actually wanted to kill Soviets. They didn't want anything to do with the Soviet Union. The other reason is that Germany was a powerhouse at the time. They were just running through Europe, and they looked like they were going to be unstoppable. Germany made it clear that any Russian that was captured would not be treated as a POW. They would be treated with sure brutality. So for the Cossacks, it was really an easy choice because I'm not going to fight with somebody I hate just to fight somebody better, just to get tortured, and just to lose. Their idea was, I'll join the Germans and I'll kill Soviets. That plan uh, backfired just as it did when they went against the Bolshevik Revolution because by 1945, uh, it was uh uh-oh time for the Cossacks in Germany. It was clear that Germany was going to lose, that the Axis powers were going to win, and then the Cossacks needed to decide what their next move was. Now what they were going to do is they were going to leave Germany and side with the British. The reason they were going to do this is because they thought that the British and the Axis powers were going to take out Hitler and then keep marching east than to go take out Stalin. So their belief was that by joining the British, they would keep being able to kill Soviets and eventually get Stalin out of power and free Eastern Europe from the clutches of Stalin. What the Cossacks didn't know was that their fate was was already decided. It was decided before 1945 when they decided to defect. To understand how modern history is today, you have to understand that there are three conferences that divided the world. The first conference was held in Tehran. Here, Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin met and they decided that they needed to invade northern France. This was where the plan for D-Day and the Normandy invasion happened. Germany had outstretched their sources, they were weak, they were overextended, and they were, this was their time to strike. So the Axis powers decided that this was the time that they were going to come in from the northern France at another front in which they were going to invade from, and then wipe out the Germans from that way. So Great Britain and U.S. were going to invade from... France, and then Stalin agreed that he was going to join the fight against Japan once Germany was done. So they go back, Normandy happens, D-Day happens, it's a success, Germany's on the ropes, so they meet for another conference. This one is in Yalta. 
Now, everyone's probably seen the picture of Stalin, Roosevelt, and Churchill sitting there um, in the pictures taken. That is, that is from this conference, the Yalta Conference. Victory was in sight by this time, but there were still details left. Japan was still fighting. Germany hadn't officially surrendered, so they needed to make out the details of what was going to happen next. Now, Roosevelt and Churchill were sick of the war. The U.S., the Britain, they had lost millions of their own people. Europe was in shambles. They were done with the war. They wanted this over with. Stalin, however, had little, had little regard for his own people. Stalin and uh, Churchill and Roosevelt didn't want any more Americans or British or anyone else to die. Where Stalin was like, I don't care. I got, I have aspirations, and if I gotta lose some of my own people, it's for the, it's for the good of the nation. And because of this stance, when Stalin came to the t bargaining table, he had way more chips because he was willing to lose more than Churchill and Roosevelt were. And it's because of this that uh, Roosevelt and Churchill ceded things that they normally wouldn't have ceded. And the war wasn't over. I mean, they still needed supplies, they still needed manpower, and they still needed to fight Japan once Germany was done. So Stalin was being a little bit of a b-hole, but they hadn't they needed him. One of the sessions that was made at the Yalta was made at the Yalta conference was this idea of reciprocal repatriation. What that basically is is that your own countrymen displaced throughout the world are actually brought back to their home nation. Now, on the surface, this is a good thing. You'd want your Americans brought home. You'd want your British brought home. But with Stalin, it wasn't about that. It was about getting the people who had defected and to get retribution on the people and getting the people who thought they were going to escape the Soviet rule back so that they could punish and make example of those who, who defected. And one of those groups was the Cossacks. Now, all the decisions and the actual details of the Yalta conference were never published at the time. Um, later found out the details that were hashed out that day. But what was actually discussed was not released to the public. And part of the reason was, was part of this reciprocal repatriation. Stalin wanted his people back, not because he loved them, because he wanted to make them pay. So during the Yalta conference, Stalin was adamant that he needed the officers, the Cossack officers delivered to him to his, uh, to his either NKVD or Smirsch. And the Cossacks had now fought Stalin twice now. And, you know, Stalin is not the type of dude who was like, oh, you know what? It's cool, bro. I get it. I get it. Now, Stalin, Stalin's not, has no chill. The dude had no chill. So by this time, the main concentration of Cossacks were based in Lienz, Austria. And the Cossack officers actually reached out to Great Britain. And they believed that they were protected. They believed that if they joined the fight against Stalin, against the Soviets, and joined the British cause, that they would be protected, welcomed in, and held under the umbrella. And then the problem with what the British did is not that they didn't accept the Cossacks. The problem is that they let the Cossacks believe that they indeed were going to be part of this agreement, that they were going to welcome the Cossacks in, when in fact they had already decided long before they were going to give the Cossacks back to Stalin. So the British started a gentle ruse. And the British held on to this ruse. The British got 2,126 Cossack officers to voluntarily turn themselves into transport. So they got on buses, jeeps, armored vehicles. On the way there, Cossack officers started ripping off their insignias. Some even committed suicide. Once they realized that the ruse was up, now British soldiers were given orders from London to if anybody tries to buck, anybody tries to defect, anybody tries to run, they are to be killed. If anybody wants to kill themselves or commit suicide, you are to let them do that as long as it doesn't endanger British soldiers. So these Cossack officers were delivered to Smirsch at Vienna, Austria, 
and then from Vienna, Austria, they were to be taken to Moscow for trial. Now, of this 2,126 Cossack officers, only a handful made it. Most of them were killed, committed suicide, or ended up in camps along the way. Very few ever made it to Moscow. Now, after the Cossack officers were rounded up and brought to Vienna, the remaining 50,000 Cossacks that remained in Lienz were told that their officers had abandoned them, that they had betrayed them, and that they had to listen to British rule. And they started freaking out, losing their mind. There was an upheaval. But by then, they were they were cattle to the slaughter. They were unarmed. Their officers were gone. They were full of women and children at this point. They were to be returned to Stalin, and they knew it. And they were losing their mind because Cossacks were pleading, we are not Soviet. We're not, we're not Soviet-born. We don't belong to, to Stalin. But the British were determined to stay true to the promise they had given Stalin, and they were going to return the Cossacks. So all 50,000 were brought to Vienna, Austria. They were given over to Stalin. Most either dying or committing suicide again, just like the officers did. And most of the Cossacks lived out their lives in uh, labor camps. So Churchill and Roosevelt were heavily criticized for the sessions they made at the Yalta Conference to Stalin. So when the third conference, the Potsdam Conference, happened, and it was Truman, Stalin, and Attlee, they weren't ready to give in to Stalin as readily as Churchill and Roosevelt were. But by then it was too late. Stalin had set up camp. He had supposed he had owned most of Eastern Europe. And he wasn't going to go out without a fight. And it was a fight that no one was willing to take on. So after the Potsdam Conference, it became obvious that Stalin was not going to give in or not going to negotiate with the rest of the world. That he was going to own Eastern Europe and all the sessions that he had made, he was not going to live up to. So after the Potsdam Conference, Churchill famously said in his speech that an iron curtain has fallen over Eastern Europe. And thus began the Cold War. That's going to be it for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Follow me on Instagram at Quantum of History. Subscribe to the podcast. As always, I hope that you got a quantum of entertainment from this podcast. Thank you again. Stay safe and avoid the rona.